We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. You can follow me on Twitter there. And this is the show where uh, we go over yesterday's slate. We review some things. We go over general strategies. We look at look. We we'll look forward to today's slate. But of course, since it's NBA basketball. Looking at today's slate, even sometimes even an hour before lock is a little, it's, why, why even bother at that point? Yesterday, if you played the slate yesterday and your, your original lineup probably had Dwight Howard in it, right? You're like, okay, they did, they kept his price the way it is. You're probably playing some 76ers and then, uh, and then, then figuring it out from there. And then, no, you end up with a Visca Zubach in your lineup and no Sixers and you go, what was the point in me making a lineup earlier in the day? Well, that is what NBA is. So that's why uh, I focus more on this show about general GF DFS strategy. Answer your questions in the YouTube chat. So I see you guys here. Mike D, uh, Frederick Duke, Card Fan, Jubocalypse, all the people here in the YouTube chat. So if you have any questions, have any comments, feel free to type them in there. Hit that thumbs up button to keep my apple juice cold as Usual. Uh, join with me every Monday. Mondays with McCool. It's James McCool. He's uh, he's he's the co-author with me of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. You could pick up at theoryofdfs.com. So so James, I want to I want to ask you something uh, because it's 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 a comment that I got in in Discord a couple of times that. I mean, it's, it's, it's stupid, but I mean, I, I like pointing out stupid things that because of all the blowouts in NBA this year, it's up. I mean, for, obviously it's only what, three and a half weeks. So yeah. it's still a small sample size. Uh, because of all the blowouts, the projections are meaningless. What's the point of projections if like half the games blow out and you don't know which ones they are and you don't know which side it's going to be. So what's the point of projecting anyone for 34 minutes? Like what's the, what's the point of it? Uh, well, okay. So there's like two ways to answer that one. Most projection models are going to take blowout chances into account. So a projection model that is built top down is going to say, here's the Vegas line. It's there's a spread of like 12 points and you're going to be able to project minutes based on a top down model that says this team is maybe going to get blown out based on this threshold, blah, 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 blah. Um, outside of that, the, the blowouts that happen in certain games don't really matter because median projections based on a larger sample, you can't focus on one sample and say, oh, well, uh, th this team was a three point favorite and they got beat by 45 points. And, you know, why, why even use projections? Like that's, that's completely like random tail event based on what we would know would be happening. It's, it's not like Vegas is looking at these things and saying to themselves, oh, well, we're going to project this team as a four-point underdog, even though we think that they're probably going to get blown out by 35 points. Um, that, that's just probably not the way that Vegas is going to work. So Vegas is pretty smart. You should, uh, you should do your best to trust them. Um, blowouts certainly have been up, and it's something that I've talked about with my community of, like, 
we didn't have a preseason. We didn't have uh, the extra ramp up time. Like there are guys that are still kind of getting things together a little bit. And um, we saw it in the NFL season as well, where the first, what, three weeks, uh, we set like a record for the overs that were hitting. It, it was just like every game was going over the the implied totals because the defenses just weren't ramped up yet. So they weren't ready to try to stop some of these offenses. And I, I think that we're seeing something with the NBA as well. But th- the moral of the story is Vegas is pretty, pretty smart. And you should probably do your best to trust Vegas. And if Vegas is saying, oh, well, every game is not going to be a blowout. That's why we project games not to be blowouts. Uh, it, it sh- it's just pretty typical top-down modeling but also like projections are are not predictions i think that 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 sentiment of like well if we're never going to be able to know what games blow out what's the point of looking at at projections it's like well projections aren't predictions when you project someone even the minutes for 33 minutes like that's still the median on their minutes right depending on foul trouble they end up playing 26 they're shooting hot they end up playing 37 Right. Like the the projection is a range of outcomes. The the number that you see in the middle is just the 50th percentile outcome. So when you see if we look at at lineup HQ. Now, in the projections here, we have this floor and ceiling metric, you know, where it's the in, in our model, it would be like around the 15th and 85th percentile. One standard deviation up and below the median. And Enos Cantor, 12.97 floor, 52 ceiling. So, you know, obviously in a game where the Spurs blow the Blazers out uh, and Cantor only sees, instead of seeing 28 minutes, he may see 18 minutes and perform badly. And he's sitting there with 14 points. And then you go, well, what's the point of projections? It's like, well, it's literally in the, pro- I mean, it's in. It's like that, that, act, that result is actually within one standard deviation of his median. So that would not, that would actually not even be considered an outlier. Right, James? Yeah. When you, when you look at the standard deviations of like what guys are going to be doing, I mean, it, you, you basically put in what you think, what the model says, the best, the, well, the most likely thing to happen, that is going to be your median projection. And then you can account for the other stuff that can happen within a standard deviation. And, People look at, I mean, you nailed it when you said that a, a, a floor outcome of 18 minutes and 13 fantasy points, people look at that and be like, oh, well, he, he was projected for 30 fantasy points. Why did he only score 13? Right. They'd, they'd say, say the projections were wrong, James. The projections <laughs> were off today. And I look and I'm like, is it within like that people, I, I say it on the theory of DFS podcast with, with Eric Bime for mm-hmm. that. Me and you and Eric and a lot of sharp players know how much variance there is in a single game of, of any sport, even NBA basketball, which is the lowest variance sport. It's still tons of variance and we realize it and we still, un- and we still underestimate it. The general public that plays DFS thinks that, you know, if Bam Adebayo is it's 34 minutes and projected at 45.7, that if Bam plays 32 minutes and gets 40 points, that oh my God, we got to blow up the whole projection model because it was he 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 got it he got a 43rd percentile outcome and oh my God, that means every I mean like dude like that that's so close like if you if you were able to hit within seven percentile either way all the time guaranteed, you'd be a billionaire in this game. I mean like you'd you. If, if your R squared would be that, that high, like, yeah, but people don't realize they look at that and go, well, you projected him for 34 and he only played 32 or you, you projected him for 30, the Enos Cantor for 30 points, 34 points. And I thought I would fade him. And he ended up putting up 48. Your projections are off, but they, this, this comes from the fundamental misunderstanding that this column is a prediction and not just the midpoint between these two, this range that if you looked at the range and you said Gary Trent Jr., right, pretty much shooting dependent, right? So he's either going to do really well or really badly. If he gets 34 minutes, yeah, he'll get more shots. But if he only put up 14 points or if he put up 38 points, that's still within his projection. That's still not considered an outlier event. So this this notion that blowouts, oh, you can't, 
uh, what's the point of projections? Like what, what, what else are we, what minutes are you supposed to put at the median other than a close game? If, if the game is, is, is going to be, is, is the, I mean, we have uh, what uh, the Spurs Portland or a one and a half spread today. Yes. Atlanta is actually an eight point favorite over, over the Timberwolves, which seems ridiculous that the Hawks would be that much of a favorite, <laughs> but at least then you could then tick down the minutes and, and then you could say, let's, let's all the starters will allocate one or two less minutes to, and the backups one or two minutes more to account for the middle point of the blowout even and if you didn't want to do that that's fine also but we have to assume like even in 20 point spreads which we rarely see in nba right a lot of that the bucks versus who knows right uh and it's a it's a 17 point spread and then like you can't project Giannis for 34 minutes you're probably going to project him for like 31 32 but uh in those minutes he's also going to be extremely productive because they're they're an 18 point favorite. So his FPPM goes up. So then it he looks like a decent enough play. And you're like, well, if this game is close, he puts up 75 points and there's enough variance to go. Well, who says, who says that the bucks beat this other team by 18 points. And also who says when that happens a lot of times, yes, they end up winning by 18 points, but you know, pretty much the starters played almost all of their minutes in the process. And then the backups came in for the last like 90 seconds of the game. That's a point that I always try to make is trying to predict blowouts uh, that you, you just shouldn't do it. You really shouldn't be trying to predict blowouts because that's what other people are trying to do too. Other people see that 18 point spread of the bucks over like the warriors without Steph Curry and, and Draymond green. Right. Like I, I think that there was probably a spread last year with the warriors where they, they had all these scrubs and it was like a 15 or a 16 point game. Right. And most people will look at that and say, Oh, well, I, I can't play the stud from the team. That's on a, that's supposed to blow this other team out. Like he's not going to play his fourth quarter rotation. And uh, there's other guys that are going to play their full minutes and all these different things. And it, it kind of goes back towards uh, something that we talked about in theory of DFS, where you're, you're not trying to predict the future. You're trying to beat other people. And if other people are saying that this team is going to blow the other team out, there's value in saying, well, what if it stays close? What if Giannis is in this spot where you only project him for 31 minutes and you'd say, oh, well, this is maybe going to be a blowout. What happens if that game stays close? Well, he's probably going to put up 30, 75 fantasy points. What happens if this game stays close? Okay. Well, that means that the other team who is probably well underpriced because they're supposed to get blown out it probably means that they're going to pay off very handsomely if this game stays close and goes the entire way, because it means that they're having a good shooting night and they're going to probably at least a couple of people are probably going to pay off their prices. So you can look at those situations and there's value in understanding that it's really, really hard to project blowouts. That it's really, really hard to predict blowouts and try to take advantage of the rest of the field fading that spot because they think that a starter isn't going to get their full allotment of minutes. It, it's just one of those things where in DFS, a, a lot of what you need to be doing is trying to think about what other people are assuming is going to happen and try to understand what makes you more money following the field or doing the thing they think is not going to happen. Right. I mean, I, it, it's much easier in DFS. It's actually easier to project what my opponents are doing than it is to project the outcomes of the games. So if people, I mean, I, this is how I've won GPPs by playing the game that the, when the old school warriors, you know, with Durant and Curry and clay, you know, they come in and it's the blah, blah, blah. And they're playing the Grizzlies with like, like everyone out. And it's like, they're an 18 point favorite. And I go like, well, Curry's going to be 4% owned because, or Durant's going to be 4% owned because no one believes in this game. It's a, it's a nine game slate. So there's plenty of options. And then you look at the Grizzlies or whatever on the other side, and like no one is no one is priced more than fifty three hundred. And you go, well, well, what what happens if the what hap what happens if the Grizzlies win this game? What's the probability of that happening? It's not do I think it's going to happen, but even if you just go by the money line in that type of game, the money line would say that the in that in that type of game that garbage team has a twelve percent shot at winning. Like even just by based on the money line, people either look at the money line and be minus 700. It's like, 
Well, that still means that like 12% of the time the, the other team wins. So if 12% of the time the other team wins and this game goes over, like how owned are these guys? 2%, right? The, the Curry and Durant are 4% and these guys are 2%. And like, well, 12% of the time, according to the actual betting market, this game will stay close and the Grizzlies will win or whatever team will win. Now, once you raise the ownership, then then it becomes more efficient. So it's not just, a, it's not predicting. That's why I never like using the term predicting in DFS. I don't like predicting outcomes. I don't like saying, uh, what do you think is going to happen? It's like, all I, all I care about is, is, can I come close to the probabilities of the, these events happening? If I could get the probabilities right, then I could obviously always make plus EV decisions. But there's going to be a range of that also. So I could I could project that a guy is going to be around 22% owned. He could end up being 18. He could end up being 26. But usually I'm in the right range. We have projected ownership here on Roto-Grinders for, for all the main slates. You could click on the link below, get $10 off your first month of Roto-Grinders premium combo or single sport packages. But I use that. And then I use the, the model for the, the, the range of outcomes and the projections and go, What's the probability of these things happening versus what does the market, what does the field believe the probabilities are? And all I'm looking for is arbitrage. I mean, it's, it's the same thing as line shopping in, in sports betting. You go, okay, based on, my, based on my model, right? In baseball, for instance, it's very easy. Like I'll use the bat, like Derek Cardi's projection system, and he'll break them down by, by statistics. So you could have like, oh, Joey Gallo, uh, has a 30% chance of hitting a home run. And then I look and I look and I go, I would go to prop lines and go, well, what's the betting market have? If the money, if the money, if the odds are, if I'm getting paid as if he's only has a 20% chance, then I should make that bet. But I'm going to get, if I'm going to get four to one on a 30% occurrence. Like I stand to make money in the long run, whether or not he hits a home run today doesn't matter. But if I could consistently find those bets, if I could make 10,000 of those bets throughout the course of the year, it's very likely that I end up in the positive. So it's very, it's similar in DFS. So instead of predicting an outcome, put, try to at least put a probability and go, well, oh, this team's going to blow this other team out. It's like, well, what's the probability? It's not 100%, uh, 90%. Okay, so there may be value on the other side. There may be, there may be value... Even in blowouts, this is what I don't understand also, James. Even in blowouts, if anything, rostering the side of, rostering the blowout side, this blows my mind, James. What I know you probably hear this in your community. This game's going to blow out. Who's going to get the blowout run? <laughs> Instead of thinking in terms of, like, if the Bucks are going to blow out another team, how did they blow out the other team by Chris Middleton putting up 45 points by Drew Holiday putting up 50 points by Giannis putting up 70 points? Like it's more likely that why don't you just concern yourself on instead of like, oh, is Bobby Portis going to get the last six minutes? It's like one or who's going to get the even worse. Who's going to get the blowout run on the losing side? And it's like, well, that's that's even more worthless. Like I just think in terms of if I'm going to roster anyone from a game that I think is going to blow out rostering the favored sides main players has more value that the, the losing sides main players have the li limited value, but people tend to think in reverse and go, well, it's going to be a blowout. Can't roster the studs of the, the team that's going to score the most points, but I want to know who's going to get the blowout run and then try to hit three times in a row by one. It has to blow out two. They have to get the extra minutes. And then three, they have to put up an outlier result in those extra minutes. And people, you don't realize, James, sometimes people spend so much time on, well, I'm going to roster Luke Kennard because maybe he'll get the blowout run. And when they got like, like, dude, why, why do you have to, why do you have to think so much? Why don't you just roster Paul George? Like, why don't you just roster the guy that's going to put up 50 in, if, if they do blow him out? Does, doesn't that make sense? Yeah, let, let me ask you a question here, Jordan, just like for clarification. What does it mean for one team to blow out another team? That they put up way more points than the other team way too quickly. 
And uh, the last, typically that means that the starters receive less minutes because the back of the benches come in towards the end of the game. Cool, cool, cool. So, so what you're saying is that a team in order to blow out another team has to put up like quite a few points, right? Like quite a few real life points in like every sport, right? Like every single sport of blowout means that one team put up a lot of points in like the first 75% of the game, right? Right. So many points that they feel comfortable putting in the backup quarterback. Like yeah, that yeah, many, okay. like to the okay. right. It's right. You understand what I'm saying? Like Lamar, a blowout in football is not necessarily even three touchdowns. Like a blowout in football is like 45 to three, and then in the fourth quarter, then then you get uh, you know RG three, you get Chad Henney, or whatever. But they have to put up that many points in order to feel comfortable. Like imagine, imagine feeling the imagine now the Nets feeling comfortable saying. uh, Saying, you know, for the for these last minutes, we're gonna take Harden, Durant, and Kyrie off the court, and just let uh, you know TLC chuck some shots up. Like, yeah. you know how much of a lead they need to have in order for that to happen? It's probably something like 125 to 90 or something at the end of the third quarter. Like in a blowout situation, they probably have already surpassed their implied team total based on Vegas in the first three quarters. And I mean, I'll, I'll just ask one more question. Who are the players that are most likely to be putting up all of those points in the first three quarters and then setting the fourth? It's the starters. So even in a blowout, even in a blowout where you think like you can apply this to any sport, you can apply it to NBA with the Nets where, you know, Harden and Durant and Kyrie Irving, oh, they're going to sit the fourth quarter. Well, what did they do the first three quarters that makes it so that they have to sit the fourth quarter? Oh, they all put up 30 real-life points and, like, crushed fantasy value. What about the Ravens? Oh, well, they might sit Lamar Jackson in the fourth because they beat the brakes off the Jets. Well, it's probably because Lamar Jackson had 135 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, and a passing touchdown. So, like, when you think about blowouts – Blowouts, that there's more value in taking a low-owned stud in a blowout than there is in fading that stud because they're supposed to put up so many points if you think that it's going to blow out. If you legitimately look at like Atlanta being hilariously eight-point favorites over the Minnesota Timberwolves today, if you, if you think that Atlanta is actually going to blow out Minnesota, Trey Young probably had a hell of a day to make that happen. Like he, he probably put up 40 real life points in three quarters or something like that. So he probably is a really good play in DFS for blowing out Minnesota. And, and it, it's even easier when we have very, very condensed usage pools in teams, specifically for somebody like the Nets. That's a really good example. Specifically for the Nets, you can probably just look at Harden, Durant, and Kyrie Irving and just say, okay, each one of these guys is going to probably account for about 30% of the total scoring on this team. So if there's going to be a blowout, then those guys probably were the reason why it was a blowout, like a combined. Right. It's, it's not a matter of the, the Nets didn't put up 130 points because Joe Harris had a 60-point game. No, 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 no. It, it, it was almost entirely because Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and, and – uh, and James Harden each combined, you know, put up a combined score of a hundred real life points between the three of them and like 40 assists or something. I, I mean, they're just playing street ball and crushing whatever team they blew out. So the, these really condensed usage pools, um, you know, maybe you, you look at another team like, uh, I, I don't know, a team that's, that's a little bit more spread out. Like who, who's a team that's really spread out in their usage in the NBA this year, Jordan? I mean, it's always the Grizzlies because they all, it seems like they only play 30 minutes each. Yeah. Okay. So like you, you look at a team like the Grizzlies where they have pretty spread out usage. If they blow out a team, maybe things were a little bit more spread out. Maybe you look at that team and you say, ah, well, the, the usage isn't really condensed enough for a blowout that I think one or two or three players are really going to get there in the blowout. There, there is some context here. When yeah, you're, but you're thinking, still predicting blowouts. I, still, me, me, I think yeah. our attitude, you're you're trying to put caveats into, well, if you're going to predict a blowout, this is what you should think about. I'm me, just I don't thinking even get to that point. Scenarios. Right? I'm just Why thinking of scenarios. Right. You're so, you're yeah, trying to I, justify, you're trying to justify people's bad behavior. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to think through scenarios. But the the moral of the story is that predicting blowouts is silly, and and you shouldn't do it. Just play the best players. Well, it, it okay. I I think that's a little bit too simplified. <laughs> that there is a probability that the game blows out, but there's also a probability that these players get owned. So you have to compare the two. Yeah, always right. There, there, there could be some delusion, some slate where a team is favored by 16 points and every and and, and one guy on the team is going to be 60% owned. And you go, well, I think people aren't, aren't, I don't think people are factoring in the blowout risk enough. And then you, then you go, well, I don't think he should be 60% owned because look at his range of outcomes. It's wide. And then you fade him there. But, mo- but in NBA DFS, most people, the majority of people think in terms of I'm going to predict an outcome of a game and then base my player choices on those outcomes or on those matchups and then build a lineup and then enter a contest. But really you'd be doing it the reverse. So since most people are doing it that way, take exploit that, take advantage of that. And if you're going to be playing 180 slates over the course of NBA season, you're not going to get it. You're going to get it wrong most of the time. But the whole thing is to just have positive expected value. Is the probability of this player hitting a GPP target score worth me rostering them? Even if the, I mean, that's why we have smash percentage in lineup HQ. Like you may look and you go, oh, the Hawks are going to blow out uh, whatever. And like, can I play D'Angelo Russell at 8,600? It's like, well, based on his range of outcomes, it's from 30 to 65. So if you're going to tell me that D'Angelo Russell, I'm not saying I don't know what his ownership is going to be, but you tell me he's 5% owned on a four-game slate, how do you not play him? Even if you think the game, quote, blows out, it's like, well, is it going to blow up 95% of the time? No, then to play him. And then, then because then, James, what ends up happening? So the game blows out, and then they come back to you and go, you're an idiot. Yeah. I thought the game would, it's like, it, it, you're looking for positive expectation over time is it going to happen today who knows so just making these choices consistently over time the larger and larger your sample size gets the more and more likely you will show a profit and i think uh, a lot a lot of uh average dfs players think way too short term and they don't even understand the long term is even longer than a week or a month because people are like, uh, it's been, it's, it's January 18th. The season started, what, December the 22nd? What's up with all the blowouts? And then maybe by the end of the year, we look and go, oh, the blowout rate was about the same as last year. I mean, like, yeah, because you're just looking at a very a three and a half week sample size. Now, could it mean that, yes, this year is different and we're going to get more blowouts? It could be. The larger and larger that sample size gets. But as of right now, would you be able to say definitively that this season you have to up the blowout risk chances significantly based on this? The, uh, we're, we're, how many games are we into the season? 10, 8, 10, something like that. I'm assuming, I'm assuming if you were building a model, James, that the, the weight of this would not be significant based on this sample size. No, I, I don't even care about it. Okay. Oh, so it would actually be zero. You wouldn't even. It's, you even, pretty, it's pretty close to zero. I, I mean, if I was going to put it in, it'd be less than 5%. Right. Okay. I just, I just want to highlight the fact that it's not like, oh, should we take, be, how much should we take, be taking into account? I'm saying I'm actually, usually I come on, on the other side of you, but you take it into account somewhat more than I just, nothing matters. Right. We're all going to die. <laughs> don't, don't even worry. You know, like I'm like, so I'm actually being the one that's like, well, maybe you should take into account a little. And you're like, I didn't even put it into my bottle at all. No, no, no. I, well, I mean, because like I said, when when I like to do a top-down modeling, I don't like to do bottom-up. So when you do top-down, what you're saying is you're taking how many points you think a team is going to score and you're distributing it based on the players that are playing, the minutes, you know, you know, all that stuff. Like you have baselines and then you apply it to what you think a team is going to score. And so the easiest way to do that is to utilize Vegas and have an aggregate of Vegas lines and say, okay, well... Minnesota's implied to score 108 real life points today. Let's break that down across the players and let's break that, that down across the minutes. 
And so in a model where I'm relying on a top-down methodology and I'm looking at Vegas, Vegas already accounts for everything that I need to care about. I don't think that I'm smarter than Vegas. I don't think that most people are smarter than Vegas. There's maybe like 1% of people that are smarter than Vegas and they're millionaires out there on a private island. When you say that, I I hate the term. I know you use it and I know we use it because it's easy to say Vegas when we really just mean the betting market. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the so we're saying that it we believe we believe and it's proven from from uh, if you back tested all the way back that you know NBA, NFL, all the major sports closing lines for the sides and the totals like are like the most efficient numbers in like all of sports. So being that they have such a high R, like why wouldn't you like whatever the closing of the they say the total is gonna be two. 33 and that's the efficient market at close then you should be you should be putting in a 233 into the how many points median wise are going to be scored in this game right yeah yeah exactly and that's that's the thing about building out models like my my pga model for example i utilize basically only vegas because i think that vegas is a really good resource for something that's non-correlated with with nfl there's a little bit more that has to do with it just because you do have to correlate players between each other but when it, when it comes to building a model and when it comes to trying to quote unquote predict blowouts and when it comes to, oh, well, I, I think that the, I think the saints are going to blow out Tampa Bay or something like that. <laughs> the, the betting markets don't think so. So I'm going to side with, you know, this huge, massive amount of data and numbers and models and, and money and money. Oh. So much money. Yeah. I mean, people are not putting millions upon millions of dollars into these markets because they're inefficient. That's just not happening. You are likely not smarter than the millions of dollars and millions of individuals and millions of models and like all of this data. You're probably not smarter than that. So just like I, I, and I know that it's so boring and and people, I I got in kind of like a, a little bit of a spat with my community the other day where it's like, that they, they wanted to use their gut and they're like, oh, well, we're just supposed to press a button and like have that be, you know, that that's all that we do. And I'm like, no, of course not. Like you can have your stands, you can have your takes, but like the data is pretty good. The models are pretty good. Vegas, the, 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 bet, the betting market. Uh, but I, I think that that's bad is about a different issue though. It, it was, but I, I'm relating it towards this of like, there, there are proven methods towards the things that are happening and there are very smart, models and very smart people and a lot of money going towards the betting markets. So you can do very well by defaulting to that and utilizing that as a baseline for where you are modeling from. And, and so that, that's all that I'm trying to say is when you are building out a model and when you are trying to say, well, you know, how, how should I approach this Atlanta, Minnesota game? Well, it's an eight point spread. It's probably still pretty close. Most of the time it's going to end up with the starters playing the entire game. And you should treat it as such. And, and that's how you're going to project it. And, and it's not how you're going to predict it, but it's how you're going to project it. So the medians say that, that game is likely going to have the starters going the entire time. Maybe they don't, but you should, you should err on the side of what the betting markets are telling you. But it comes down to what your motivation in playing DFS is. Mm-hmm. I mean, re- really, when, when you say in your community, oh, it's boring to just like look at numbers and then kind of build lineups and names on a spreadsheet, like I say, and wow, that's, that's not fun. It's like, well, it depends on why you're playing. I'm playing to make money. Like this, to me, I find it fun to make money. So it just, it goes hand in hand. But if I, if I couldn't make money doing this, I wouldn't be doing this show. You wouldn't see me here. I wouldn't be at Roto Grinders. I wouldn't be, well, I don't even watch basketball. I wouldn't even know these players' names. I would not know who Damian Lillard was if it wasn't for DFS. I probably, I probably would still know LeBron. I would still, it's still see enough mainstream, whatever coverage, but like I view DFS as, as the same way as stock trading, the same way as playing poker, the same way, like, like I'm going to beat an inefficient market. And as long, I don't care how I have to do it, but I'm just going to do it whatever way I can. And if that means that I have to fade this guy and play that guy and, and sway and play this contest and play this type of lineup. And I've, I've no gut in any of that. It's just whatever, whatever stands to be plus EV over time and just press a button. And that's, that, that's to me, that's playing DFS to me, to me, that's the fun. That's the intellectual puzzle. 
That's the fun part to me. But I could understand that I would say 99% of people play DFS as a hobby, as a, oh, I, I just, I, I, I want to play. I like the sweat and I, I just prefer not to lose money. Can I play strategically in a way where it gives me a shot at a big payday, but I'm not like losing my ass. And which is great. Roto Grinders provides, I mean, you could read all the content, you do all that type of stuff, but just always know like that's, I think that's the biggest rift between uh, people like me and you versus uh, the average DFS player is that like our motivation is primarily to make money. And if it's boring at poker, right? You know how many, you know how many hands you have to fold in poker? You know how boring that is? There are some games that I've been in. If you're in a wild game and people are raising with nothing and it's just basically wait for good cards and money will come to you. Well, you have to, like, I'll sit there for 10 hours and fold nearly every hand, right? And just like eight, three, fold, seven, four, fold. And, you know, I'll wait for a good hand and then someone will pay me. And at the end of the session, I have a thousand bucks in my pocket. Like if that's the optimal strategy for that game that night, I don't care how boring it is. I just care about having the thousand bucks at the end of the day. So that's, that's how I approach things. If you're looking for the fun aspect, like to me, I, James, I don't even know what that means because like, like I, 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 how do, how do I find it fun to like two minutes before lock never looking at the slate and just mashing eight buttons together. It feels like I'm throwing my money away. Like to me, that's not fun. That would be more stressful of like, imagine you get locked into a, an 888 GPP, and you're forced to not do anything and you just have to like blindfold and put like, to me, that's not fun, but people apparently find that fun because they go with their gut. Yeah. The, the fun aspect, cause I can kind of answer that. The fun aspect is being able to have skin in the game, man. Just being able to like roster Damian Lillard and, and look at your lineups and be like, oh yeah, now I get to watch this game and I could get stoked every time that Damian Lillard gets like- I don't a- even watch the games though. I don't even no, get that. I, no, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about people who do it, you know? Like right. I, I don't watch the games. I I could care less. Uh, but people who want to be able to watch and be like, like if you're a hardcore Saints fan, one of my favorite stories about DFS, and this this is not something I suggest you doing, but one of my favorite things about DFS was a couple of years back, there was this group of dudes who were hardcore Saints fans. And what they did every single week is they they like entered qualifiers for the Fantasy Football World Championship on DraftKings. And every single week, they just stacked the Saints. They just stacked the Saints up to the gills. And then one of them actually, it paid off and they actually got a ticket to the, to the World Championship. And like... Is that plus EV to just like stack your favorite team every night? Hell no. You should not be doing that. But if it makes it so that you as a hardcore Saints fan, when you're watching and like you now get to get super excited if like the Saints are doing well and like you have that extra skin in the game, that's another goal of DFS. Like if, if your goal is to, and we talk about this in theory of DFS, if your goal is to increase the amount of fun that you have watching your games and watching your favorite teams. If you're not doing it to make money, if you're just doing it for the pure entertainment value, like a a nice dinner on a weekend is like a hundred bucks. If you want to take that hundred bucks and put it into DraftKings contests and like stack the saints for no reason other than you like watching the saints. Cool. Awesome. That's great, man. I hope you have a fun time doing that. But that does, that's not a conducive way of making money. And if your goals are to make money, then you, you should be following the markets that are the most efficient. Right. That's how we make money off the, I'm stacking the saints every week. I mean, like that, that's where, that's where the dead money lies. I mean, we saw it like last night with the, the game being canceled and most, most people got out off of them, but I mean, you could still look in contests and see 1% on Ben Simmons and, Two percent owned Dwight Howard, and that's 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 the inattentive dead money. So I mean, I know when we talk about things like ranges of outcomes and standard deviations, expected value and variance, and all these wow, these sound like these these sound like complicated math concepts. They're not. These are concepts that you you probably learned in high school to some extent. Uh, so it's it's not it, this type of math is not daunting. Like it's just that you have to get, you have to remove the worldview that you're playing a game of sports and not 
like a game of math and finance and and markets and not just like who did who who do I think is going to smash tonight? Is it going to be Durant? Is it going to be Harden? Is it going to be is it going to be Luca? Like I have no idea. It's just the same thing. I look at if I looked at a stock, I'd go like, what are what are the chances that this stock goes up in the next six months? Well, the probability is X. Like, how much do I have to risk for X? And then that's, I mean, that's what stock traders do. That's what commodities traders do. It's the, it's the same type of thing. And that's why, like, like the variance wise, like I, I, I put, I made a new addition to my cash game uh, tracker, which you could find tracker.theoryofdfs.com. This is public. So every day I go in and I track my, this is just for cash games. On all three sites, DraftKings, FanDuel, Yahoo. Started with a $20,000 bankroll, 10% of the bankroll per day, 60% in head-to-heads, 35% in double-ups, 5% in triple-ups. It's not going to come out perfectly, but I mean, that's what I try to do. And then I track it every day, put in the results. I even, I even, I said before, before the show, I was able to even make, make a little even profit graph right here. Because uh, I know, because J- James, your Excel knowledge is like 50 times mine. Uh, like, like people wanted a copy of my sheet, like this, like this bankroll tracker, like, Oh, can I get a copy? this? Oh, it's awesome. The way you made it. And it's like, dude, like, like this is, I'm an, I'm a, I'm a beginner. I'm a, like an intermediate Excel person. Like this, this was not <laughs> that complicated to do. Uh, and I look at your Excel stuff. Cause you do so much stuff in, in Excel that I'm like, dude, I can't do what James does. You have search <laughs> bars and buttons and, like it's, it's, it's stuff that I used to do for web development, like database programming. Uh, so I, I find it proud that I was able to make a, a profit graph uh, of each date, aggregating the things together. Like it's, it's a little bit more complex. It's can't just like, oh, it's whatever this column is. It's like, you got to do a, a little computation, but it shows the variance. Like most people view DFS and be like, you know, I got up to this, this mountain, like 90, I even put a running net in order to get this graph. So like, like over the weekend, for instance, like I did not have a good, like the 14th was not good to me. But when I did the show last Friday, I was down to a profit of 65.80. But over the course of the weekend, now I'm up to 72.69. So even though there's, there's going to be dips, you see these reds here? Yes, you're going to lose all three sites on, on some days, but you're also going to win on all three sites other days. Like on some of these days, you win all three, you win like two grand or whatever. So like they're going to be ups and downs. Like, I don't care. Like for instance, positive variance on FanDuel, not so much on DraftKings or Yahoo, but there's going to be a point in this season where I'm going to win five slates in a row on DraftKings and I'm going to lose five slates in a row on, on FanDuel. It's, it, it's inevitable going to happen. So just because we have a three and a half week sample of like me crushing on FanDuel doesn't mean like, oh, should you just take all your money out of DraftKings and Yahoo and just put it, just double down. Put it all on FanDuel. But James, like, you you know that's how average people think. But you know why that's not necessarily the wisest of moves to just go, well, it's hot. So let's move all our money to the hot place. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe after this year, if you find out that on FanDuel, you have a 60% win rate and on DraftKings, you have a 56% win rate over... I, I don't know how, how many slates you are you going to play on this? Probably like, I mean, I mean the entire season, right? Right. Like, the entire, right. It's the whole season. But, yeah. but I think that's the point that you're making is that without an adequate sample size, like it's yes, it could be that FanDuel is softer and FanDuel. I, I should be devoting more of my bankroll to FanDuel. And then but, next year and then next year you will. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's the law of large numbers. It's as the sample size gets larger the more and more likely the thing that you're looking at is accurate. So it's like, it could, so actually in comparison to 26 slates, it's more likely that, that FanDuel, I should be devoting more to FanDuel than to DraftKings, but it's not definitive enough. So it may be the type of thing that if I want to go with that, maybe like, I mean, look what I did the past, past couple of slates. Like I'm putting slightly more on FanDuel than I was. Like I have to split out this 10% across three sites and Yahoo, it's kind of tough because you can't really get volume down without like playing like sharp players and head to heads. So like, if I need to put down on like today's slates, 
across 2,700 or so, which is 10% of this number. Like 300 on Yahoo, right? So that gives me, uh, you know, maybe 400 on Yahoo. So that's uh, the 300 would be 2,400 left to allocate. If I want to do it evenly, it would be 1,200 on DraftKings, 1,200 on FanDuel, you know, 300 on Yahoo. But maybe because of this, and I instead of going 12-12, I go 1,000 on DraftKings and 1,400 on FanDuel. And just like kind of make it a little bit lopsided there based on what I currently see. But there may be a point in, during the season that it becomes more even. But it's not the type of thing that I should be going, well, why, don't, why, do, I, why do I even bother playing on DraftKings at all? Why don't I just put the whole 2,700 on FanDuel? Well, then that just ruins the diversification of what a, I mean, that's, that's the reason I'm playing on all three sites. That's the reason I'm playing 60% head-to-heads. It's like I'm trying to make as much money as I can with the lowest amount of variance that I possibly can. And yes, it may turn out that if I replayed this over the course of a year, once the year is done, that had I put everything on FanDuel, I would have made an extra $20,000, but also the risk of ruin would have gone way up. So that's why I, I it, that's, that's the whole point of diversification, especially when you play on multiple sites where you could play multiple different types of teams, where you don't have to worry about buddy healed shooting on DraftKings. You may have him in your FanDuel lineup because they never want to price that guy up. So he always shows up with a decent projection in the shooting guard spot. And then on FanDuel, on DraftKings, he's 6,800. And he's like, well, he's not going to be in my lineup there. So it's quite possible that, you know, if he puts up 25 points, that that may be good on FanDuel and not kill you on DraftKings and you win both of them. Or it may be that you don't need Harrison Barnes. Right. Okay. You have Harrison Barnes on two sites, but not have him on another site. Well, you're never stuck in the case where you're just playing all of one guy, unless that guy happens to be a screaming value on all three sites and projects well. But in that case, that's what you should be. I mean, obviously the guy's the top projected guy and he's underpriced on all three sites. Don't you want to, don't, don't you want to triple down? I mean, yeah, I mean, you just follow the numbers on that, especially when you're playing cash games. Like one of the cool things about cash games when you're playing on different sites with, uh, with FanDuel and DraftKings and Yahoo is um, being able to understand, like you said, with Buddy Heald, where they never price him up on FanDuel, but he's priced appropriately on DraftKings. So that's something that if he is projected well on DraftKings, even at his price, then you might want to have even more on FanDuel where he is projected well and way underpriced and you can have different diversification of player portfolios based on the lineups that you have not only in cash but also in gpps but it just gives you an idea of who is being priced appropriately and where the discounts lie on the sites so long as you're diverse so long as you are not playing the same players in your lineups across each different site that's that's something that um i think some people make the mistake of when they are trying to play across different sites, they'll say, oh, well, what, what do you think about uh, player X? Like he, he projects well on DraftKings, but not on FanDuel. It's like, well, then I, I don't care about him on FanDuel. I only care about him on DraftKings because uh, the, the double-double bonus is the reason why he's projecting well over there. He's, he's a little bit overpriced on FanDuel where he's not going to be getting the extra bonuses. Um, th- those kinds of things. I-, I think that that's kind of like a next level concept for a lot of beginner players. I think a lot of intermediate players know that, but beginner players can certainly do well by looking at the sites and seeing who is priced where and kind of comparing those prices and seeing who they should be playing based on the value that's given on different sites. Right. That's why asking like what players you're playing doesn't matter until you, until you tell me the site you're playing. Sometimes Yahoo they have a $10 guy that they never priced up. Like he's going to walk into some 35 minute roll and they just said, oops, oops, we still have Enos Cantor at 10 bucks or something after Nurkis' injury. And, and that, but then you look at DraftKings and they already priced them up to 7,000 and you're like, well, yeah, you can play, you, you play Enos Cantor, that guy on Yahoo, but on DraftKings doesn't mean you don't play him. It just means he's efficiently priced. Just means that, okay, you could have a ceiling or whatever, but you're not, you're not getting, not getting a screaming discount or anything like that. So it really depends on the site. It also depends on the pricing structure and positional uh, distribution on, on each site. So a lot of times on FanDuel, you're paying up at small forward because small forward tends to be a very weak position. You may, they, they may not be a value at small forward. So you're playing a LeBron. 
So you're playing a Kawhi because you're just getting your raw points there. And especially since FanDuel's pricing tends to be soft, that as long as you're finding value, you know, decent, everyone's underpriced to some extent. You may have a slate where it's like 10 guys are underpriced. So it's just a matter of which positions do I need to prioritize in these underpriced players? And then where do I get my raw points? And all the times you're getting raw points at small forward with some stud there or power forward, you have Anthony Davis there. And you're just like, he's not the best value, but there's no other good value in any other slots. And then you have DraftKings where you kind of have to do the opposite. DraftKings has so much multi-positional eligibility that the six best value plays on the slate, you could probably play all in the same lineup. So it's just a matter of filling it all in. And then what two, what two spots do you have open? And if it happens to be a guard spot, looks like you looks like that's that's the reason why you see like Steph Curry's going to be chalked today. Luke is going to be chalked today because you like well there's like there's like four forward eligible value plays. So once you have like four 4k guys that you could jam in, well what are you paying up for? You're paying up a guard. So who are, who are the raw points guards? Well, Luca and Trey Young and and Steph Curry and it could be the opposite. Sometimes you're like, oh, it's all the guards. We have, you know, we have the Houston, right? Sterling Brown and Ben McLemore and, you know, the the, the the Sixers guards, the Miami guards. And then you look and you go, oh, I guess Jokic is going to be popular. I guess Durant's going to be popular because the, there's all the values at guard and not and not as much in center or forward. So that's that's how you can predict. I mean, ownership will, if you have projected ownership, it will, if that's why it, it looks like the way it does. But that's more important from site to site. So if you're playing on DraftKings and you're not playing on FanDuel, it's a different, it's, they're like two different games. It's like you're playing, it's like, yeah, it looks like you're both, it looks like you're playing poker, but one's Hold'em and one's Stud. Like it's still similar concepts. It's still poker. You're still trying to make a five card, you know, best five card hand against, you know, your opponents, but it's, it's different. It's like have Omaha. It's like, well, yeah, now you have four cards. Versus, because now in, in Potlum and Omaha, having like, well, I got two pair. Yeah, g- yeah, good luck. Good luck winning with two pair in, in, in Potlum and Omaha. Unless your head's up, maybe. But like, in, oh, I'm going to take two pair into seven-way pot on, on the river. Like, no. Because am- so, you have four cards. Everyone has four cards. The likelihood of you being able to make hands like straights, flushes, and full houses go way up. Versus playing Texas Hold'em, you get two cards, and you can win a lot of money with just one pair. Right. So FanDuel, DraftKings, different games, Yahoo, different game. Yahoo's a little bit similar to it's not a hybrid because they have the guard utility position. So you get multi-positional eligibility, but you also get the FanDuel scoring system. So I, but I just I think it's very important that uh beginner and intermediate players even just just the site you play on is gonna be dramatically different. We we notice here on on uh I mean you could take a look even in in in, in in lineup HQ, like when you when you look through like optimal lineups, that on on FanDuel you tend to like your lineup more. You have you have a a, a, a softer feeling of because 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 they're pricing so soft that it it feels like okay I got I got it feels like I have good players in my lineups on DraftKings where the pricing tends to be tighter. You're like. I hope Edmund Summer gets gets 18 points, right? Like, like the the only way to make lineups is by like taking one or two guys that you're like, let's see, this is gonna come. This is a two v two. Like yesterday was a two v two in cash for a lot of people of uh, Brandon Ingram and Edmund Summer versus Zion Williamson and Marcus Morris. Ugh. Good thing, I, good thing I was on the Zion Morris side. Uh, yeah. But I mean, but that's but that's what we're sweating on Fanduel. A lot of times you're not, you're like you're, the likelihood of you needing to play an Edmund Sumner is lower. doesn't mean you don't play him, but it just that it, because of the pricing is soft, that you're less likely to have to play thin plays. And to some people that makes it seem like FanDuel is easier, but in fact, that probably even makes FanDuel harder. Something that, uh, something that I like to note a lot is when you, because I, I am a very like forward at FanDuel is a very hard site to play on uh, for a multitude of different reasons. But one of the reasons is because um, it seems like it's easier to build quote unquote good lineups because it is because, because the pricing is softer. 
But building, if everybody can build good lineups, it makes it harder to build the best lineup. And that's, that is something that a lot of people, I think it kind of gets thrown to the wayside because so many people are focused on just cashing. And, and I always tell everybody, if you just want to cash, go play cash games. Just, just go play something where the payout structure is 50% of the field gives you a way better shot of cashing. Uh, if your goal is to just, just cash a lineup, go play cash games, do not play GPPs because even if you cash, if you min cash on FanDuel, which you, you can do, you know, with the same amount of time as on DraftKings or the payout structure is 20 to 23% or whatever, um, Min caching and placing in the top 5% does not matter in GPPs. If you're not getting the 1% finishes, if you're not winning those GPPs, you're very likely going to have a negative long-term time, long -term ROI because those 1% finishes, those, those top finish, those GPP banks, those are what actually determine your long-term ROI if you're playing in GPPs. So yeah, on FanDuel, you can make a lineup that looks better. You can play all the guys. You, you can fit anybody that you want, but so can everybody else. And so you're going to have a harder time. It, it is easier to build a lineup that you feel good about on FanDuel, but it is harder to win a GPP because everybody can build those nice lineups. And that's something that I think a lot of people, when they say, oh, well, I, I like playing on FanDuel because I feel like I can build better lineups there. You're right. But it, it doesn't mean that you're going to make more money over there. And, and you really need to understand that. Right. You have to, yeah, you have to think in terms of if it's easier for you, it's easier for everyone. Now, when it's harder for everyone, that means it's harder on people like me and you. When we go on draft, DraftKings, DraftKings is harder because I can't get as much of an edge. Like, like I look at this and go, well, I have to build this lineup this way. And the only way for me to build this lineup is to have Wes Awundu. And he go, I hope he has a good game. Like, but if I have to deal with that, the, the, a worse player, an average player, because the range of lineups tends to be narrower on DraftKings, means that your choices, your incorrect choices, aren't punished as much. So, like, yes, yet last night, Marcus Morris, Doug McDermott, like if you played, you should have played Doug McDermott over a Justin Holiday or something like that. You should have played Marcus Morris over Luke Kennard. But in the long run, like those choices are going to be very marginal. And the sharper players like me, I'm jamming in Marcus Morris. But the difference between Morris and Kennard is not as drastic on DraftKings because we have to play those players because of the tight pricing of the lineups. On FanDuel, you never have to, you rarely, I don't want to say never, you rarely have to make those decisions, right? We're not playing. Most likely, I don't have to make a decision between Marcus Morris and Luke Kennard because I could just play De'Aaron Fox and I can play, I can play all the stuff. I can play players that are starting. All the guys, I can play anyone. I, I can play Jokic in that lineup too. I can pay up at center. I can pay, I can pay up and get decent players everywhere. Uh, but the difference between, uh, Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald, that's a bigger edge for modelers, right? Those are the bigger edges because there's less variance in the starters. There's less variance in those guys than the fringe guys that you kind of have to roster on DraftKings. So while we, we had a slate last week where like Cam Johnson is like 60% owned on DraftKings because he was 4,200 and there was no value and a small forward was, was scarce and like any model that you would put in and just like, okay, I'm going to play the guy that plays 27 minutes. And it's not like he's in a bet. It's not, not a good matchup. Not, he's not getting any type of role improvement. It just so happens that he fits the spot in that, in that place. And on, on FanDuel, you don't have to play Cam Johnson, but on DraftKings, the sharp players have to play Cam Johnson. And you could have easily just said, I'm not playing Cam Johnson and I'm just going to randomly pick any other small forward around that price range. And the difference between Cam Johnson and that small forward was probably not that big, but the sharp players are going to, you know, any one extra point jamming all the Cam Johnson. So you're more likely, I know it sounds weird. The more, the more that you don't like your lineups, the more that it benefits you 
as an average player than it does if you like your lineups. If you like your lineups, that means there are sharp players that have found different constructions that have a similar projection that at, at half the ownership, and they're going to crush you over time. On DK, it's very hard to do that. If you went into lineup HQ and ran lineups and say, show me similar lineups with similar ownership, you're a lot of the lineups are going to look to, a lot, a lot of them are going to look the same. And the only way to change it is by like, instead of playing this scrub, play another scrub. But that benefits that that benefits worse players, average players. So on fa- I, I think I think it's not going to change anything. The perception is. I mean, I've heard it, I've heard it in, in the DK committee, even that you know, people people view the pricing on FanDuel as if it's more fun which is great. That's why I want to play as much as I can over there because when people view it as fun, that's a money-making opportunity for me. But it's actually, but I hope based on our explanation that it, it's shown that the, the more, the more that you hate your lineup, it probably benefits you as a weaker player. But a lot of people don't consider themselves weak players. So it's kind of like the paradox happens. Like, oh, I, I'm good at FanDuel. Right, look, look at them all my great lineups. And then you wonder why you never win a GPP. Yeah. Yep. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. So uh, James, people could find you on Twitter, paydirt underscore DFS. They absolutely can. They can also find all of my work over at paydirt.ghost.io. Um, been working really hard to translate all of my cool Excel stuff over into web apps because uh you know, even though I'm really great at Excel, it's not really that scalable. So really trying to work on that stuff, but you can I mean, find we can't, all that. We can't, we can't uh, like Telnet in or something. We can't PC anywhere in and just use your uh, Excel screen. No, man. It's, I, I'm really trying to make, make things more accessible, you know? You can't and do it in Google Sheets. Just share a Google Sheet. I, I mean, I can, but it's not going to work very well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you can find all my stuff over at pater.ghost.io. Um and yeah, we're, we got a lot of really cool things planned and yeah, I'm just excited for this, this next year and getting ready for, for baseball season and counter-strike and league of legends and all that kind of stuff. And you can find me at blender HD on Twitter, as always theory of daily fantasy sports, how to think like a professional DFS player. It's a 15 hour audio masterclass covers all the game theory of DFS, all the sports doesn't matter. It applies to ever, all of them. So you can go to theory of dfs.com it shows you all the table of contents it's 15 hours all these little testimonials faq pick it up it's me it's james in your in your pocket it's a reference guide you could a lot of people have listened to this multiple times they play and they pick up new concepts here and there but it's more about the math and game theory of dfs and not like this guy's gonna crush dude right it's more about the boring stuff. If you want to learn about the boring stuff, uh, but the more that you learn about the boring stuff, the more money that you have potential to make, the more, this is this is how the top players play, right? This, this essentially is. So it's a 15 hour seminar of me and you telling you about it. So pick it up, theoryofdfs.com. Uh, I, I like, James, I like these Mondays. These Mondays, because we, I mean, we could have talked about yesterday's slate, but I mean, I think, I, I like that we get to reset every Monday, talk about some general concepts, some trends, some things going on, but what's on people's minds and get to like, you know, so we could head into the week with like, okay, a new, new improved, like, yeah, maybe I had a bad Saturday, but now that like, I'm kind of cementing concepts in my head, I'll be like, okay, maybe, may, maybe, maybe I don't play Edmund summer today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I like this because you could be like me who played the combination of Brandon Ingram and Harrison Barnes yesterday instead of Zion Williamson and Doug McDermott. So uh, I'm very happy to forget about yesterday and <laughs> move on to this new week. Okay. So hit the thumbs up button, hit the thumbs up on your way out, the thummies uh, on, on your way out, uh, the subscribe button, obviously, if you're new here and the, the notification bell to let you know when we go live, there'll be a grinders live show here later today. It's Dean and someone else. It's, it's Dean and someone, right? I, I don't I don't know who's on the schedule. Will Grant, someone? It'll be it'll be someone. I don't know. Uh, check the schedule and then crunch time for premium members with Roth, Meansy, 
and probably someone else too. Squirrel Patrol or Tuttle or some someone. It'll be someone, right? I don't even look at the schedule. It's, it'll 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 happen. Uh, there's a lot of slates today. There's a showdown that just started. There's an afternoon slate. The main slate's at 7.30. So as always, if, you, if you're in my contest, I wish the worst of luck to you, right? Because I don't want you to win. But if you're not in my contests, right? I, I, I wish the best of luck. So, so until tomorrow, this has been the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com. Thank <laughs> you.